It is Tuesday, April 28th, and this is Community Pulse, your local report on the coronavirus outbreak here in mid-Missouri. You can catch Community Pulse every weekday morning at 9 a.m. on KOPN, and all episodes can be found online at kopn.org and on our Facebook page. Missouri Governor Mike Parson has outlined his plan to reopen Missouri starting May 4th. The plan includes expanded testing and contact tracing, adequate hospital capacity to handle a surge in new cases, and adequate protective gear for hospitals and first responders. But many question if this plan is realistic as we continue to face shortages of many testing supplies such as swabs and viral transport media. Meanwhile, there's a global race to develop a viable vaccine to stop the coronavirus, and today on Community Pulse, we'll be discussing one of these efforts along with uh, many other topics. Joining me as usual this morning is Dr. Elizabeth Allman, local family physician and host of Your Health Matters. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning, Tim. Thank you for joining I, us. Oh, thanks for inviting me and engineering the show. Uh, I want to start with some numbers. We passed two sort of interesting milestones. I don't know. I'm trying to not be a downer, but boy, it's hard to be, can't be anything but just stoic about this. Three million cases worldwide and one million cases in the United States. Worldwide, we have uh, 213 deaths attributed to COVID-19 with 934,000 recovered. Um, and uh, one of our listeners uh, sent in a link to an article, and I did some further reading to clarify that uh, the recovery from COVID-19 and from especially uh, ICU and ventilator care is not necessarily as rapid as the descent. So there are people, there is a thing called post-ICU syndrome where it can take a long time for people's clear thinking to come back, for their ability to walk, for their ability to breathe comfortably, and there's some concern that there may be long-term damage to kidneys and lungs. So really, we should say survivors rather than people who've recovered. But um, in the United States, we have 56,000 deaths and 139,000 recovered. In Missouri, we're up to 7,288 cases with 308 deaths. And uh, just people keep reminding me that either all or nearly all of us in St. Louis have been in African-Americans. And we're going to have a guest tomorrow to Tracy Wilson-Kleekamp to talk about racial disparities in health outcomes, specifically with COVID-19. In Boone County, we've got 98 cases and one death. In Saline County, there are up to 171 cases. And that's a not a very populated county, and in Montauk County, up to 41. And then just as we were about to go on the air, Jenny Chadwick kindly sent me uh, the link to an article uh, from the Tribune that there's a Colorado man who is currently in the Boone County Jail, that apparently he had been in the Denver County Jail. He got COVID-19 there. He was released from the jail and was traveling to South Carolina. And it's not entirely clear to me how it is that um, he got involved with the uh, law enforcement locally, but they um, interacted with him. He was belligerent. He was armed and he was uncooperative. And uh, he then coughed on one of the deputies and was arrested. So we now have somebody with known COVID disease in the Boone County Jail. Um, And this is one of those things about what we need plans. What do we do with people who we can't really isolate them in a hotel room, 
but we need a place where they're not going to be a danger to other people. And um, uh, jails and prisons are a really problematic place to put someone with an infection where there's limited uh, space for everybody. People can't uh, have full access to hand washing, and um, it's just problematic. So uh, we, we're just up against it with this virus for sure. But I did want to talk about a little bit of what is giving me a teeny bit of hope, and that is the Jenner Institute at um, Oxford University in England has begun a small clinical trial on humans of a vaccine that they've developed. So the Jenner Institute is a not-for-profit vaccine developing uh, institution. Um, That most of the vaccines that are developed worldwide are developed for profit by by corporations that hope to make a profit off of it. And that means that we often are not developing vaccines for emerging diseases in developing countries because there aren't large budgets to pay for these vaccines. And then by the time those, which is problematic in its very own self, but even if all we care about is our own safety here in the United States, the problem is that then once those illnesses travel around the world and are in places where people would have money to pay for the vaccines, we now have lost the time that we would have wanted to develop the vaccine. So the Jenner Institute has developed what appears to be an effective vaccine for MERS, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, um, uh, that is still circulating in the Middle East. So one of the tricks is that you wanted to... Reading this article clarified again to me how it's challenging to develop a vaccine. So you got to hurry, but it takes time because you have to do safety. But if you don't develop the vaccine before the disease stops circulating, then you can't test it because it is not considered ethical to deliberately expose humans to the, to the virus. So you, we, the way we test vaccines is we give them to humans and, then, and we hope to give them in a place where the vaccine, where the virus, the disease is currently circulating. And then we watch to see whether the people who got the vaccine are more likely to get infected than the people who got a placebo. Um, so the Jenner Institute has developed a sort of an interesting approach to uh, uh, vaccine development, which is different than the way we've been doing it and not in ways I fully understand and I certainly can't summarize, but they are adapting other coronaviruses rather than adapting the, the COVID virus. So that means they're ahead of the curve because they were always were already working on the, the coronavirus that causes MERS. And so they have already tested it in rhesus monkeys and have found it to not cause obvious problems in the monkeys and to um, uh, reduce the illness. Apparently, monkeys can get uh, COVID disease uh, when exposed to the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And so um, they have shown that it it protects the monkeys. Now, these are all short-term studies, so do we know that it causes long-term problems? We don't, and it's in monkeys, So, and it's in small numbers. I think they only expose, like, two monkeys. So now they are doing um, – they have enrolled 1,000 people in a, um, in a trial that will eventually include 6,000 people, and I think that that's 6,000 people total, which means 3,000 will get the vaccine. And they're doing that <clears throat> in the U.K., and they think that the timing is right so that um, while they want COVID to quit 
spreading in the UK, they are hoping that it will, that the timing will be right, that it will still be spreading during the next couple of months while they are watching for it. If this is successful, they're saying we might have a vaccine by September. Wow, which is a lot so, sooner than many of the other efforts we've been hearing about, estimating yeah, so 12 to 18 head, months at least. Yeah, head, mm-hmm. head spinningly quick, and there are, I have so many questions. Like how, you know, some of the pro- concerns that many of my patients have about vaccines is long-term subtle impacts on health, um, and we are not going to have time to do that um, before September. So um, the early adopters of the vaccine will be taking a risk that the vaccine has some unintended, unanticipated, um, either subtle or not subtle, intermediate or long-term consequences on health that may not be evident for a long time. And I'm not telling anybody they shouldn't get it. My stance on vaccinations is if you want them, you should get them. And if you don't want them, you should not get them. and I think there will be such a law, uh, such enthusiasm for getting the first vaccine that's available that there. I don't think we're going to even begin to talk about mandatory vaccination for a long time. What we'll be talking about is how do we choose who gets to get it rather than trying to um, mandate folks. Because I think there are a lot of people who are worried that there will be uh, mandatory vaccination. I think we're a long way from that. There are some 60 to 70 other vaccinations in development. Um, around the world, which is great news because some of them will work better or be cheaper to produce or be more tolerant of environmental conditions. Um, so, but this is um, great news. I was not even aware that there was a thing called the Jenner Institute. It gives me great hope. Um, sadly, for the United States, apparently the Jenner Institute has found partners in many other countries. In the United States, they have not yet found a partner because all of our vaccine uh, producers in the United States are for profit, and all of them require exclusive worldwide licensing before they would get involved with that. So this would be a great opportunity for a um, startup uh, vaccine manufacturer or another pharmaceutical company that wanted to get into vaccine manufacturing to step into a huge void um, that could make a big difference. Um, So... Um, it's, it's another reason why um, I am finding frustration with our for-profit driven healthcare system. Um, but again, I'm going to try to keep this a factual, not necessarily political uh, commentary here. So there's that. Um, so, um, and then the other thing I wanted to say is not quite as uplifting, so not quite as hopeful. And that is, um, uh, let me see if I can find the, the article. There was... Um, Sadly, a uh, physician suicide is a um, is a worldwide problem. It is significantly a problem in the United States. And uh, Dr. Lorna Breen, uh, uh, an emergency room physician in uh, Manhattan, um, uh, died of self-inflicted injuries. I think yes, uh, Sunday. Yeah. Um, so she was the medical director of the emergency department at New York Presbyterian Allen Hospital. Um, And she had actually been infected with COVID, had taken some time off, gone back, and then was sent home again because she was still symptomatic. Um, Her, uh, uh, so then she was with her, with her parents and her father states that um, she would describe these, um, she just described really the traumatic working conditions that we were all working so hard to try to prevent physicians from having to experience of patients dying as they were taken out of the ambulance so she didn't even feel like she had a chance to serve them. Um, 
long hours, stressful conditions, um, apparently no previous history of any, any mental health problems, although physicians are very motivated to hide those things. Um, so I'm not, not trying to question her truthfulness, just that um, uh, the trauma that is being in, experienced by our hospital workers and our first responders in these hotspots is really unsustainable and uh, is going to be a price that we pay for a long time in the same way that it takes a body a long time to recover from serious illness in the intensive care unit and ventilation. It takes, it's going to take um, individuals in the system a long time to recover from the challenges of what uh, we're experiencing. So um, I, I love the way you introduced the show. We've got, um, the governor says we're going to reopen on Monday, and some of his comments are – I am having a hard time being neutral about them, but I'm just going to stay. Matter of fact, he says we're going to really increase testing. I'm not seeing it. Um, we're still being – I'm still being told to only test symptomatic people. Uh, the Department of Health is apparently uh, approving people who are the asymptomatic contacts of known cases can now be tested, but that's a change in this last week. Um, uh we, so we are not testing like all of the people in nursing homes or all of the people in our prisons and jails or all of the people in the hospitals who are really vulnerable populations. Um, so we're not doing that yet. Um, he says he's going to release a stockpile of personal protective e equipment. So I've been working without personal protective equipment. I haven't seen very many people. It's really fairly low risk. But I was inquiring about it. I am not a, a, an employee of any hospital so I don't have access to supplies through those places. I queried the governor's office after Senator Blunt's office told me that they had them. And I was given a really circular runaround. Basically, they didn't have any. So now he says there is personal protective equipment that he's going to release. And that makes me wonder whether I was told something that wasn't true a month ago when I was seeking personal protective equipment. So um, I am um, really losing patience with leaders who are making political decisions and then making political statements that don't um, that they can't back up with action. So um, if people are thinking, oh, well, we're good because we have low numbers of cases and we are doing testing, um, I don't think that's the whole story. Right. It's so, one thing to say that it's coming just around the corner, but May 4th is a week away and... Uh, we don't yeah. see much evidence of this, the PPE and the testing expanding. We need the um, the testing to be happening now so that we can, you know, now we already have businesses and, you know, people scheduling their haircuts and their photography sessions for graduation photos. We've got people um, getting their piercings and their tattoo appointments. Um, they're going to go see their massage therapists and their um, acupuncturists and their chiropractors and all of those things are legitimate things to do. But it's based on us believing that we have very few cases in Boone County. And um, we don't know that because we don't have testing, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, we got more testing than we did a month ago, but we are nowhere near the amount of testing. We still cannot test asymptomatic people. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it is um, it is frustrating and a little exhausting to keep doing this, but that's what we're doing. We're getting up every morning and we're going to do one more day. Uh, each of us can only do what we can do. And um, I'm hoping that everybody will make their own really wise decisions 
about what's the right level of contact and exposure for them. Um, but everybody, please still wash your hands, avoid touching your faces, uh, wear a face mask when you're out in public, um, really be thoughtful about which buildings you enter that are not your home, um, and uh, uh, keep away from folks when they're, you're outside. But I hope everybody does get outside and take a nice walk. The weather's beautiful. Uh, we can do our social distancing outside, and um, it's an important part of keeping our vitamin D levels up and our mental health good. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, I do want to add that uh, I know we've been discussing over the past few days the, the increase of cases in Saline County um, yes. associated with the meatpacking facility there. And that's not the only county in Missouri where that's happening, but uh, KOMU reported that the Saline County Health Department will be providing COVID-19 testing for 400 county residents uh, starting today. So they're going to okay. be testing people that have pre-registered online and there's zero criteria at this point except for being a Saline County citizen. So it sounds like okay. they've, they've identified this hotspot and they're doing this uh, sample of 400 tests to see how much it, it has spread. And that testing is going to take am... place t- today and tomorrow, it looks like. So I will then give the governor kudos or whoever it is who arranged that. Um, mm-hmm. They deserve a lot of um, congratulations. 400 is a good start. I feel like my comment about that is like a friend of mine who, um, after a bowl of ice cream, always says, well, now that's a good start. Um, <laughs> so, but, you know, you, you, you got to get started. Mm-hmm. And if any of, any of my um, our listeners are physicians or other health practitioners who are experiencing thoughts of suicide, thoughts of self-harm um, uh, and mental health issues. There's an amazing uh, physician uh, who's actually located in Oregon, but she runs a worldwide helpline for physicians who are considering suicide. Pamela Weibel is her name, and her phone number is 541-345-2437. Or you can find her um, on the Internet at idealmedicalcare.org. Um, she is... Um, uh, just really on fire for helping physicians and bringing attention to the issue of physician suicide and has really brought attention to the idea, the fact that this is becoming an increasing problem. Mm-hmm. And we can share those yeah. resources uh, when we post this episode later today online. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so tomorrow, Tracy wilson Camp will be joining us to talk about racial disparities in healthcare and um and in COVID outcomes. Uh, Thursday morning, Brianna Lennon will be my guest to talk about what the elections are likely to look like. Um, and uh, I, Jenny Chadwick, I'm hoping will be on, be able to be on Friday or, or Monday. So we'll be, um, we've got a lineup of great guests coming up. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much for joining us You're this welcome. morning, Elizabeth. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Once again, we were speaking with Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, a local family physician and host of Your Health Matters here on KOPN. That's it for today's edition of Community Pulse, your local report and update on the coronavirus situation here in mid-Missouri. You can catch Community Pulse every weekday morning at 9 a.m. and later in the day at kopn.org and on our Facebook page. Thank you so much for listening. Coming up next, we've got an abridged version of Background Briefing, a little music, and more wonderful programming that you can catch here only on KOPN Columbia.